Happy February. Eclipse fever is gearing up. Total solar eclipses are amazing spectacles. And if you're fortunate enough to be in the path of totality and the skies are clear, you're going to be in for an amazing, unforgettable experience. Solar eclipses can be fun and exciting, but you'll need to plan carefully. And safety is an important thing to keep in mind. Now, there's a tremendous amount to know about the upcoming solar eclipse. So we're going to break this up into two episodes. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the different equipment that you'll need to safely view and image a solar eclipse and some of the best places to see this wonder and tips for planning, especially if you're going to be traveling to see it. In part two, we'll go over many of the techniques and tips that will help you see and photograph the eclipse as well as what you can expect to see. For your convenience, we're going to leave links in the show notes to many of the items that we discuss in this episode. If you're going to buy any, please use the links, as it doesn't cost anything extra, but it really helps the channel. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and hit that subscribe button. If you're listening on audio, please leave us a nice review on your podcast platform. We really appreciate that. We love getting your questions, suggestions, comments, and reviews. And you can always email us at astroguypodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 973-404-0380. I know every month we mention it, but please join our Facebook group. We post lots of fun information there about astronomy, astronomy history, astronomers, and we post important updates about the show there. So we really want this to become an interactive forum for our listeners and watchers. So please check that out. Again, the link is in the show notes. If you'd like to help support the Astro Guy podcast and YouTube channel, you can buy us a cup of coffee. Any money collected is used to update and maintain the equipment that we use to create and publish the show. Again, the link is in the show notes. Thank you. Okay, that's enough of me blabbing. Let's get to the eclipse. Welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm not an expert. I'm an amateur like you. I'm here to learn and here to teach. So let's enjoy the ride together. Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. Welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Zool. We're now just a little less than two months away from the Great American Eclipse on April 8th, 2024. This is the second time in seven years that a total solar eclipse will cross a narrow line traversing the continental United States. This time, the moon's shadow will follow a path from Mexico to Canada while crossing several U.S. states. Those observing the eclipse from along the center line can experience nearly four minutes of totality, which should be breathtaking. Now, anytime you're observing or imaging the sun, you need to exercise caution. Looking at the sun with any optical instrument or even just your naked eye can cause permanent damage to your eyesight. Fortunately, there are ways to safeguard your vision while still being able to enjoy all the phases of the eclipse. But I can't emphasize this enough, except during totality, when the moon completely blocks the sun. It is not safe to look directly at the sun without proper approved eye protection. Even a momentary glimpse through a camera lens, binoculars, or a telescope 
can result in permanent damage to your eyes and even blindness. So please exercise extreme caution. During the partial phases of the eclipse, you'll need to use a safe solar filter. Eclipse glasses are inexpensive, lightweight, and are available for many retailers. However, you'll want to make sure that any eclipse glasses that you get are compliant with the ISO 12312-2 international standards. Sunglasses, no matter how dark, are never safe to look at the sun. Make sure that your eclipse glasses aren't torn or damaged in any way. If they are, discard them. I recommend purchasing a couple of pairs per person to err on the side of caution. Amazon has several different eclipse glasses available, and I've left links to them in the show notes. Currently, most of them are selling for a dollar or less per pair, so the investment is definitely worth it. Of course, plastic ones are a little bit more expensive than the paper ones. If you're unable to get eclipse glasses, there are other ways to safely observe the partial phases of the eclipse. If you have a colander, you can look at the sun projecting onto the ground through the holes in the colander. This is an indirect method of viewing, as you'll be looking away from the sun when doing so. You can also make a pinhole projector using a box or an index card that has a small hole punched in it. The sun's light passes through the pinhole and is projected onto a piece of paper or the ground. With the sun behind you, you can safely observe it. Whatever you do, do not look at the sun through the pinhole. I've left links in the show notes to a couple of websites that have instructions to make your own pinhole projector using items that you have laying around in your home. I'm also going to leave a link to an article that was in the February 2024 issue of Astronomy Magazine that was written by a past guest to this show, Phil Harrington. The article is called Eclipse Viewing Made Simple, and it describes building a device called an SSV, a simple solar viewer, using just some cardboard and a pair of dollar store reading glasses. There's also instructions in the article to build a slightly more advanced version. Both versions, you can buy the parts for $5 or less. I'll leave a link in case you're interested in building one. Another important thing to consider is skin safety. You're going to be out in the bright sunlight, so you want to make sure that you're wearing sunscreen and a hat to avoid getting a painful sunburn. All right, now that we've got the safety concerns out of the way, let's go over the best places to see the eclipse and what the weather prospects are for those areas. The best places to observe the eclipse will be along the path of totality, which first makes landfall over the western coast of Mexico. The moon's shadow will enter the U.S. in Texas, passing through Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri, Tennessee, Illinois, Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, before moving into southern Ontario, and then crossing Quebec, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, Cape Breton, and then Newfoundland, where the shadow will pass onto the Atlantic Ocean before moving off of the surface of the Earth into space. If you want to experience totality, you'll need to be within the path that's only about 115 miles wide. Ideally, you want to be as close to the center of that line as possible, as that will allow you to experience up to a little more than four minutes of totality, depending on your location. The further that you are away from the center line results in shorter totality. The best weather prospects for April 8th in the U.S. are in Texas. 
Fortunately, the path crosses or is near several large metropolitan areas. So if you're flying to see the show, you have lots of choices of where to fly into, such as San Antonio or Dallas. If you're planning on flying further north, you could go to Indianapolis, Cleveland, or Buffalo, as these cities are within the path of totality. Of course, you could fly somewhere else, but then you'll need to drive for an hour or more to get to the center line. There's an excellent interactive map that you can view online. I've left a link to it in the show notes for you. Clicking on any spot on the map will tell you the exact time of the start of first contact, which is the beginning of the partial phase of the eclipse, as well as the times for the start and end of totality, mid-eclipse, and the end of the partial phase. All the times listed on the map are in universal time, which is Greenwich, England, so make sure that you calculate what the correct time will be for your area. Going back to the map, if you were going to observe the eclipse from an area near the center line in Carbondale, Illinois, the partial phase begins at 12.43 and 12 seconds, with mid-eclipse occurring at 2.01 and 31 seconds, and the partial phase will end at 3.18.19 seconds local time. It will also tell you the length of totality for any given spot within the path. In Carbondale, totality will last for 4 minutes and 8 seconds. The southernmost part of the path in Texas will experience 4 minutes and 28 seconds of totality, while at the border of Maine and New Brunswick, Canada, totality will last 3 minutes and 28 seconds. So the southern states typically have better weather in April and they'll experience totality a bit longer than in the north. Once you've decided on your view and location, book your travel if needed. And if you're going to be staying in the area, book a room now. Many hotels have been booked for months already, so if that's not an option, you could try an Airbnb. Some people will even camp or sleep in their cars. Obviously, you need to do what's best for yourself. Once you know the general area that you will be going to, you'll want to find your actual observing location. Remember, you can't just set up on someone's property without getting their permission. Parks and other public spaces should be good. You can also search for local astronomy clubs nearby that may be hosting public events. Other venues may be holding eclipse events as well, so the internet will be your friend in finding those. In 2017, we observed the eclipse from a winery outside of Kansas City, Missouri, as they were hosting a special eclipse event with wine tastings. That was fun. The eclipse occurs on a Monday, so you'll probably want to avoid places like a school or a business with a parking lot. Parks and ball fields are going to be popular observing spots for the eclipse. Now that you've figured out where you're going to observe the eclipse from, what should you bring with you? Well, for starters, you'll want to bring a portable stool or a chair, as you'll likely be there for several hours, so you'll want to be comfortable. Besides sunscreen and things like water, you're going to need some items to safely observe the partial phases of the eclipse. Eclipse glasses are inexpensive and allow you to safely observe the eclipse. Celestron makes a pair of 8x42 binoculars that have built-in solar filters, allowing you to safely view the sun. They're currently selling for $79, and there's a link for them in the show notes. In fact, I'll leave links to all the gear that we go over for your convenience. I purchased a pair of these for the 2017 eclipse, and they work great. Although it takes a little bit of practice to find the sun, but once you do, they provide a very nice view. 
You can also make a pinhole projector look at the sun as we described earlier in the episode. If you have a telescope, you'll need to purchase a solar filter for it. I've left a link to a site that has a lot of different solar filters for different telescopes available. All the filters that we've talked about are white light filters, meaning that they block the harmful rays coming from the sun. They block nearly 100% of the visible light coming from the sun, letting through just a very small portion. With these filters, you'll see the moon as a black disk as it slowly crosses the sun. If there are sunspots, these filters will allow you to see them as well. But what if you want to see more detail on the sun during the eclipse, or at any time? Prominences, flares, faculae, and other features can be seen using a telescope fitted with a hydrogen alpha filter. One of the best portable solar telescopes is the Coronado PST which stands for Personal Solar Telescope. This is a dedicated H-alpha scope with a diameter of 40 millimeters. It's lightweight, and it can be used on just a sturdy tripod. They are currently on sale for $849. They're fun to use anytime. I purchased one nearly 20 years ago, and it still works great and gives wonderful views of the sun. The PST has a clever finder, a small round window with a mirror underneath it that reflects an image of the sun onto the window. Just center the sun in that window, and it will be in the eyepiece. You can use any inch and a quarter eyepiece with the PST, but I use an 8 to 24 millimeter zoom eyepiece, which makes it easy to locate the sun at low power and then zoom in by just twisting the eyepiece. The Teleview zoom that I use is no longer manufactured but Astromania makes a very nice 8-24mm zoom eyepiece that sells for $63. These are excellent eyepieces due to their low cost and versatility. However, you can use any inch and a quarter eyepiece to look through this scope. The PST has a focus knob at the bottom rear part of the scope and a ring to tune the etalon, which changes the wavelength of light passing through the filter making different features available depending on how you've turned that ring. The great thing about a scope like the PST is that you can use it any time that the sun is out. Since we're nearing solar maximum, this is a great time to have one of these as the sun is more active. There are more expensive solar telescopes out there, but the PST offers an excellent bang for the buck. Several of the smart telescopes that are on the market either come with a built-in white light solar filter or you can purchase a filter for them. Both the Dwarf 2 and the ZWO Seastar S50 come with built-in solar filters for white light viewing and imaging the sun. Both of these scopes sell for under $500. Of course, I've left links to them in the show notes. The beauty of both of these smart scopes is that you can use them for regular daytime photography, as well as taking and stacking images of deep sky objects as well as the moon and planets, all in one easy-to-use package. However, these smart telescopes don't have an eyepiece to look in. Everything is done through an app on your phone or tablet. Either way, they're excellent instruments, and they provide excellent value for the dollar. Now that we've discussed some equipment, let's look into where the eclipse has the best chance of being seen. As we stated a few minutes ago, Texas has the best weather prospects, based on many of the weather forecasting sites. The further south you go on the path, the better chances you have of clear skies. Predictions are 64% for clear skies from around Waco to the Mexican border. Killeen, 
Waco, Austin, and Dallas are all within the path of totality. The weather prospects will get slightly worse as you move north through Texas towards Oklahoma. Oklahoma has similarly good prospects for the eclipse, as does northern Texas. Arkansas has similar prospects for clear skies, although statistically it's a bit less favorable than Texas. Little Rock, Arkansas is within the path of totality. Moving into Missouri, you'll have slightly less of a chance of clear skies than in Texas. Poplar Bluffs will be in the path in Missouri. As the eclipse path moves into Illinois, the main concern becomes the potential for springtime storms that are common in the Midwest. Carbondale, Illinois is on the center line of the eclipse. Chances are about equal for clear skies as they are for rain or possibly snow in Illinois. The small part of Kentucky that the center line passes through as well as Indiana, persistent cloud cover can be an issue, so for any place you plan to go to, have an alternate location that you can drive to if need be. Bloomington and Indianapolis, Indiana both lie within the path of totality. Moving east and north into Ohio, the chances for cloudy skies along the eclipse path keeps increasing. However, there's a surprise in store. As the path crosses halfway through the state, it heads out into Lake Erie. Normally, you'd expect cold water to mean more clouds, but here's the twist. Meteorologists believe that the frigid waters of Lake Erie might actually prevent clouds from forming over and around the lake in early April. So while watching the eclipse on the water might be a bit chilly, it could offer clearer skies than inland locations. However, keep in mind that big spring storms can still cause total cloud cover, regardless of the lake's influence. Mansfield, Toledo, and Cleveland, Ohio are all within the path of totality. Much like Ohio, the chances in Pennsylvania are about the same, including along Lake Erie, so that area may provide you with the best chance if that's your plan. Erie, Pennsylvania is within the path of totality. Once the eclipse path enters western New York, things could change a bit. The path is now officially in the northeast. The chances of cloudy skies along the path of totality stabilizes for a bit in New York. Similarly to Lake Erie, Experts believe that the cold waters of Lake Ontario might help to keep the skies clear around the lake during early April. However, when the eclipse path reaches the Adirondack Mountains, the likelihood of cloudy skies increases significantly over the tall peaks. Observers will face the highest chance of clouds seen so far along the eclipse path in the Adirondacks. Additionally, like everywhere in the Northeast, New York can experience large storm systems during this time of the year. Buffalo, Rochester, and Syracuse are all within the path in New York. Next, the eclipse passes over the Green Mountains in Vermont. Just like the Adirondacks in New York, it's important for eclipse chasers to be cautious of cloudy skies caused by the mountains. Another thing to note is that this part of the country often experiences big spring storms that could spoil your eclipse adventure. Burlington and Montpelier, Vermont are both within the path of totality. In New Hampshire, the chance of cloudy weather along the eclipse path is similar to what it is in Vermont. The only difference is that instead of the Green Mountains, we have the White Mountains, which could also create clouds at higher elevations. In Maine, the terrain stays mountainous like the states before. Clouds may form up high, especially in the western part of the state, making it one of the cloudiest places for the eclipse. Spring storms are common here too, which could add to the cloud cover. 
and don't be shocked if there's still snow in much of the northern states on April 8th. Houston, Maine, near the Canadian border, is within the path. Now, if you don't live in the path and are unable to travel, you'll still be able to experience at least some of the partial phases of the eclipse. Okay, that was a lot of information. So we're going to wrap this up for now. And in part two, we're going to go over many of the techniques and tips that will help you see and photograph the eclipse, as well as what you can expect to see. And we'll go over the timing in several different locations along the eclipse path and more. Thanks for joining us. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope that you found our time together to be fun and helpful. If you have questions or episode suggestions, please email us at astroguypodcast at gmail.com or leave us a text or a voicemail at 973-404-0380. If you're not already a member, please join the Astro Guy podcast group on Facebook. You'll find other members, videos, blogs, and other useful information there for your enjoyment. You can also visit our YouTube channel, the Astro Guy podcast for past episodes and other surprises. Please subscribe. Please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform. It really helps us to get new listeners. Thank you again for listening, and may your skies be clear. As always, Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. I'm Wanzul, and this was the Astro Guy Podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, your questions, comments, and suggestions are welcome. Keep wondering. Keep your eyes on the sky. Have fun. Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. <laughs>